Good morning. <laughs> it is good to see everyone this morning. Yep, my name is Alvin. I've been serving here now since uh, 2009. Uh, it has been uh, a privilege. It feels like um, just yesterday that I started. But um, I wanted to give you more uh, a bit about my story. I graduated from Moody Bible Institute, which is uh, an American quote-unquote conservative Bible college in Chicago. I graduated there with my Bachelor of Arts in Youth Ministry. Uh, this was a really interesting time uh, to be in the States as a follower of Jesus and a challenging time in Moody's long and remarkable history. We grappled with what our response to postmodernity uh, was going to be, while also transitioning and debating over the best methods of reaching out, evangelism. As part of our school's curriculum, we had to complete a number of PCMs, uh, Practical Christian Ministries. For one of these PCMs, I was doing street evangelism in a group. To be honest, uh, there were some portions I was uneasy with. Uh, there were some tactics that we used, and it was you know, for the cause of the kingdom. One strategy was to have you know, three students, at least three students, watching the presentation. And that way, we created a little crowd so that we made it easier for those who wanted to hear, but maybe were maybe feeling a bit too shy or in the rush past, that they could uh, at least have that option of joining and not being that first one to, to join in. It was in the year 2000, however, at the last Moody Missions Conference I would attend as a student before graduating, that we learned about the coming around of the evangelical community to incorporating social justice and missions and in our churches. I mean, it's been in the air, but this, as a student body, this is when we started learning about this. One speaker in particular talked about his ability as a student at Moody years before of his ability to twist and turn, basically manipulate conversations to make an opportunity. He said he loved it. He'd go on the subways, he'd go on the, uh, on the railways, you know, on purpose so that he could do this work of telling people the good news. He also shared about his experience after he graduated from Moody and was called to the mission field. You know, one method that he remembers uh, early on in, his, uh, in the field was ensuring that before people got what they needed, that they would uh, have to hear the message first, and then they would get um, a meal and maybe some food that they could take home with them. But he was around for a transition for when this changed to radically loving people first, winning the opportunity uh, to share Jesus by just loving. This is one idea I've grappled with since, is to love people because they are loved by God and worthy to be loved just because. Regardless of whether or not they were even open to hearing about our Jesus or whether they were maybe openly hostile, we love radically just because. No strings attached, no coercion, no pressure but what the Spirit is already doing in their hearts. And this was a challenge for me. More recently, uh, after I joined uh, the staff here, I was able to take some students and go with a bunch of other students to Urbana 2009, and the theme was God with us. And it was great to hear of the advances of these ideas I had, uh, we had learned at Moody. Again, I'm not naive enough to believe this wasn't already in the air, but eight years later, uh, how these ideas had progressed and were shaped by this understanding of, of this term being missional. 
An idea there that I've grappled with since is the idea of following Jesus' model of leaving the place where he was most comfortable, his father's and the spirit's presence, to come to earth putting on flesh, the son incarnate, to reach to us. You know, for us in the church, it's just this, to go beyond, to be Christ in our neighborhoods and other places that aren't necessarily comfortable to us. So it's not about getting people to come into these four walls, you know, our comfort zone, but to go out to others. So with these struggles, with these ideas that have been uh, brewing, with these ideas forming, when I think about what the Spirit is saying to the church, what God has been, been doing in my own heart, for a number of years, as well as in the church, it continually comes back to, to this question. Um, how we do and think about reaching out to others to tell others about Jesus Christ you know, needs to change with our context. Now, how we do and think about reaching out to uh, tell others about Jesus Christ needs to change with our context. Reaching out to others is already something many of us have already been convicted of. And I'm sure that maybe many of us have heard a number of sermons on it, maybe grew up going to a youth group where you heard that. And it can make some of us nervous as we have preconceived ideas of what it should look like, what it should sound like and be like. Maybe you've had positive experience, and maybe not so much. But what's the Spirit now saying to us also through His Word? So let's take a look together at Matthew 13. So I invite you to open up those Red Pew Bibles, or if you have your own, uh, to find it. In the Pew Bible, it's page 968. And I'll take a look at verses 1 to 9 together. That same day, Jesus went out of the house and sat by the lake. Such large crowds gathered around him that he got into a boat and sat in it, while all the people stood on shore. Then he told them things in parables, saying, A farmer went out to sow his seed. As he was scattering the seed, some fell along the path, and the birds came and ate it up. Some fell on rocky places where where it did not have much soil, and sprang up quickly because the soil was shallow. But when the sun came up, the plants were scorched and they withered because they had no root. Other seed fell among the thorns which grew up and choked the plants. Still other seed fell on good soil where it produced a crop. A hundred, sixty, or thirty times what was sown. He who has ears, let him hear. So this audience, this large crowd, as Matthew records, literally, you know, they would have seen farmers sowing these seed in nearby fields. You know, we don't know uh, when in the agricultural year that Jesus taught this parable, but it makes it interesting to think of Jesus teaching this during the season of sowing crops, that as these crowds, as these multitudes were making their way down to where Jesus was located, that they would have passed by the farmer, the sower sowing the seed. You know, sowing seed would have looked like this. The farmer would take a supply of grain into the field. They would have this big bag hung over their shoulders and their neck, and the, sh- and the bag would be in front. Methodically, the farmer would, would take steps, almost rhythmically, and reach his hand into the bag and pick up a number of seed, just as much as he could grasp. 
and then start to liberally uh, throw it in strips in his field. The actual makeup of the land plays out in this parable, a mix of compact earth, rocky limestone covered by a little bit of soil, thorns and weeds, parcel of good soil. And so Jesus gives this situation, this scenario that they would have seen coming in. The sower sows the seed. There's a farmer. He's getting his field ready. And as he's spreading the seed, here's the problem. There's four different types of soil, and nothing is guaranteed. And so the sower picks the seed, and he's just throwing it, casting it liberally, and some of the seed falls on this hard path. And Jesus says that for that soil, the birds come and they eat it up. So there's no fruitfulness, no, nothing grows. The second soil type that the seed falls on is this rocky soil. So again, Jesus says that there are no roots, and it springs up quickly, but then because there are no roots under the scorching sun, it just withers away. And then another soil type, this thorny soil, you know, everything grows together, but the thorns, this thorny weed literally chokes out. Like in competing for the nutrients and competing for the sun, it chokes out what the farmer's trying to sow. And finally, you know, the farmer gets it into that soil that it needs to be in, into this good soil where there's this bumper crop. You know, Jesus, he was teaching this, that the challenge was for the hearers to truly hear in verse 9. He says this, He who has ears, let him hear. You know, this is one of those parables, too, that it's not common, where Jesus actually also gives his interpretation of what it means. The disciples all came around him, and they were saying, you know, what, what does this mean, Jesus? And so in private, he gave them this, this lesson. In private, he says to them, you know, this parable, the reason I teach in parables is because there's these things that, that these people don't get, that they don't understand. And I'm trying to ready them, get them to grapple with these concepts, to grapple with these things. And he says, but for you, because you are ready, here's an understanding, a deeper understanding for you to, to get here. And he says, you know, this rocky soil, uh, this, sorry, hard soil eaten by the birds, you know, the seed that the, that the sower is spreading is the word of the kingdom. And that soil isn't ready. It's hard and the seeds glance off of it, and the birds come and snatch it away, and the evil one is, is the birds. And he says, you know, there's rocky soil, and this is where the, the seed, the word of the kingdom, is received with joy, but because there's no root, it falls away really quickly when trouble comes. Then he says there's, so just to give you an understanding, disciples, there's also this uh, thorny soil. And in this thorny soil, he says, that this is where it's received. But then the thorns come up, and these thorns are the worries of this life, the deceitfulness of wealth. They choke it. And finally, he says, then there's this other seed, this last seed that is, that is good and ready. And there is a bumper crop, you know, 100, 60, 30. So an application that I'm sure you've heard maybe this sermon preached before, where the application is, will the hearers truly hear and receive the seed? You know, you can sort of identify yourself in, in maybe a soil type. You know, is your heart ready? Or have you received it but fallen away? 
or you know, are you also grappling with the worries of the world or the deceitfulness of wealth? Or is our heart ready to receive and, and bear this abundant fruit? But I'd also like to suggest there's an alternate application as well. And especially in the Gospel of Matthew, the way he sets it up, the way he writes it, that this is sort of the pinnacle of the point that he's making. And what Matthew has done here is he, if you take just an elevated approach and take a look at some of the chapters beforehand, you know, Jesus started with his ministry of healing in Matthew chapters 8 and 9. Then he moves on to teaching in the synagogues, and he has this feeling of an enormous compassion for the people of Israel. Jesus then sends out the 12 and warns them, you're not going to be accepted. It's going to be a hard road to travel. You could face persecution. You could even face death. Jesus' teaching to the, to the region fell on deaf ears, and the growing animosity of the religious leaders against Jesus starts becoming a major theme. Jesus' kingdom relationships are more key than actual family ties. Just before this chapter, he says, you know, here are my father, here's my mother and my brother and my sisters around me. Because his, parent, his mother and his brothers and sisters had come to him in that area, and they were seeking him out. And he says, no, this here, this group here, more key are these kingdom relationships. And this sets the stage for this parable is that Jesus in his earthly ministry, he wasn't bearing much fruit. It was a hard go. He is the sower sowing this seed, and it's falling on these different soil types. And yet he has these disciples that they're bearing fruit. There's this harvest that Jesus teaches on that returns in abundance. And so an alternate application as we look at this with an overall view, the obedience of spreading the word of God's kingdom will bear fruit. There's this friendship's grown, spiritual growth of his disciples, so we, call, we keep on sowing. We keep on liberally casting the seed to anyone who will hear. We trust God will bring an unexpected harvest, 100, 60, 30. You know, these are above and beyond what the natural return is for these seeds. Each one of them in themselves is a bumper crop. But I bring us back to our question then, but how do we keep sowing, especially in our context, in our day and age? You know, we, we look at Scripture, and sometimes we pull out these how-to guides, but that's not what the Bible has for us about how to love people into the kingdom. To those who needed it, religious leaders, leading people astray, whose hearts were already set and not open, he was abrasive. Jesus was abrasive. He was confrontational. To those who needed a gentle challenge towards the truth, he did that. Like the woman at the well, you can look for yourselves in John chapter 4, challenging but loving. With the religious leaders like Nicodemus, meeting him in the middle of the night, secretly, to teach him. To others, he was invitational. They did life together, such as with his disciples. What we do read about often is Jesus meeting people where they are in their life stage, loving people, you know, sinners, them. And the religious leaders would sit back and say, who is this man? He's a teacher, but look at what he's doing. Look at the people he hangs out with. No one does that, but Jesus did. 
you know, in amongst his cohort of this group of friends, Matthew, the tax collector, he invites him. Zacchaeus, it's a funny story, a little man climbs a tree and Jesus, you know, makes a beeline right for him amongst this crowd and he says, hey Zacchaeus, I'm spending time with you today. You know, let's be friends and I'm going to eat at your house today. Not only just men, but also a large group of women, they weren't even allowed to be taught. The sower sows the seed. Yes, it, replies, it applies to Jesus, but it also applies to us who sow as well. But it brings us to this question, how we do and think about reaching out to tell others about Jesus Christ. You know, there's no set formula that then says you do this and it works. You say these magic words and it will happen. You follow these steps and you lead people this way. Bam. Christians. And how we think, so let me start with how we think about reaching out needs to change with our context. You know, and this is something that God has laid on my heart, and maybe for some of you too, not to lump us all together, but how we think about Jesus, about reaching out, um, that following Jesus isn't about winning. And so let me qualify this, is that, yes, we do, we live in victory. Because of what Jesus accomplished on the cross, our standing before God as victors, it says that. We are more than conquerors through Jesus Christ. It says that. But I believe we can be at times competitive against not only one another, from church to church, even ministry to ministry, but us versus them, those people. I believe we at times are more concerned with winning by speaking more than listening to the people we come across. I believe we can be at times more concerned with being right than caring about whether the people we are talking to care about it or not. You know, I just had this, uh, I was just sharing lunch with one of the camp leaders. Uh, his name is Jordan Powell. He, he told me I could share this story. And, uh, you know, he's not a great dancer, he said. And so he, he joined a swing dance club so he could learn and get over his fear. And so in the swing dance club, uh, he started really enjoying it. And one of the first ones, he got partnered with a young woman who, passionate, you know, loves the Lord. You know, maybe even the Sunday before heard a message. You know, people are dying. We need to tell them. And we need to tell them the good news. And so she took this moment. She sees this opportunity. Maybe there was a small opening, and she dove in. And before, I mean, Jordan serves as a leader here. He's, he's a believer, right? But she wouldn't even let him get a word in edgewise to even find out about that information. And so she just went off and went through her whole thing of what she wanted to say. And then finds out after the fact, yeah, by the way, I, I love Jesus. I, I go to church. And he said that for him as an experience, he just said, you know, this is what other people feel like, where he's trying to get a word in, but just can't. It's difficult. You know, what Jesus shows us is that he had this ability to create intrigue by asking questions, even answering questions asked of him with questions. You know, the woman at the well, she comes to him in the middle of the day when no woman would be out because it's just way too hot. And she's dipping the water, and Jesus asks this question about the water, and she's just curious, what are you talking about, you strange man? And why are you talking to me, a woman out in public, a Samaritan woman? You know, a woman who 
is looked down on by the Jewish people. And when he did speak strongly, again, it was to these people who were rigid in their legalism, their lack of mercy, compassion, and grace, and they pushed people despondently away. And again, I think we have, we have to get beyond this understanding of trying to win. You know, as a young man, when I was at Moody, uh, there was, um, they uh, streamed a debate from Emory University, and uh, it, was, it was a great debate. And I was sitting in the back of our, um, of our little uh, hall, listening to this debate. And the Christian apologetics thinker and two other men, they were debating on the existence of God. And I thought this was the best thing ever. I was like, he's obviously winning. He is winning this debate. And he made a good point. And in my back row, I was sitting way in the back. I got there a little late. I was like, yeah, yes. He made that point, beat that guy, awesome. And a couple of rows ahead of me, there was an older gentleman. I'd never seen him on campus before. I didn't know who he was, and he looked back at me, and he had this look on his face, you know, angry a bit, I would say, annoyed. And in that moment, and I looked back at it with a little bit of regret, you know, because I was concerned more with this man winning, this debater winning, which he did. He did. But the contrast between that Christian apologetics thinker and my own attitude was so far apart. He was so humble. Like in thrashing these other people, he was just so humble. He's just thanking them, thanking them for the opportunity to be on that stage with them, to debate these important issues together. And then here I am, this young guy, yeah. And I look at that moment, what I perceived as winning, maybe it was actually losing. Because here's this other person, maybe they were exploring. Maybe they were thinking upon. Maybe the title of the debate got them in through those doors. They wanted to learn more. And maybe they just chalked it up to another experience, a negative one of an obnoxious Christian follower. Recently, I read an article from Dr. Tom Rayner. Uh, he's currently the president and CEO of LifeWay Christian Resources Southern Baptist Convention. And um, in his blog, he was exploring and interacting with different comments made on one of his articles on how people who are not Christians, how they perceive Christians. And so I just wanted to share some of these quotes. You know, as a technique for attracting potential followers, witnessing seems very focused and artificial. It renders any attempt to express real friendship towards the recipient seem insincere and not a little sinister. I've never felt that any of the people who made these attempts had my interests at heart or would offer me the basic respect of considering the possibility, however faint, that I'd put genuine thought into my position, that I might be sincere in my lack of belief. Try to put yourself in the shoes of your prey. I suspect that you'll become better people for making the effort. Here's another quote. It's so refreshing to hear the accepting attitudes I hear in these comments. I only wish I could be assured that, that these were the majority attitudes amongst Christians. I wish that good folks like you would speak it against those who would discriminate against me. This is a person writing from the Bible Belt who was afraid of even coming out to say, I actually don't believe in God. After all, we're just humans trying to make our way in this uncertain world. And I'll just finish with this last one. I don't hate Christians. 
but because of the way I've been treated in the past, I'm wary of them. If you want to be respected, then do some respecting in return. You know, I don't assume that everyone in this room, uh, in the sanctuary at this time, are believers right now. And maybe you've come with friends. Maybe you're on a journey. <laughs> maybe you felt this way. Now, we can sit back and judge those quotes, even pridefully categorize the people behind these comments. Oh, those people are hard soil. What if our interaction can be used by the Spirit to continue to till the soil? To give a better picture of who Jesus is because they see him in us and through us. What if? You know, I, I know the feeling of urgency. You know, I'm right there. You know, I am a firm believer in urgency that there is this world that there are crazy things happening out there that we don't know what's going to happen next to our dear friends, uh, the people that, um, that don't believe in Jesus as we do. You know, I, I'm a firm believer in urgency. I get it. I get it. You know, we're called to God's mission, make disciples, you know, invite them into knowing Jesus Christ, into this wondrous relationship we can have with our Creator. And yet, this urgency needs to be tempered with 1 Peter 3.15, is that, you know, be ready to give a reason for why you believe. And then these important words that I remember when Paul preached this last year, it was so new to me again, with gentleness and respect. I think we forget about this. We're ready to give our defense. But the feeling is like our backs are against the wall. Maybe we've lost ground. We've lost ground to this culture that just seems so overwhelming. And we do what maybe defensive people do. We lash out. You know, the sower sows the seed. He sows it liberally. You know, he doesn't spend time right on that path strip, that really hard one, just chucking seed at it over and over again, trying to get it to sink in. So we need to change the way we think, our attitudes. Uh, That's what I believe the Spirit is telling us. So how we think about reaching out to others needs to be changing, and also how we do outreach, if I can also humbly suggest that, needs to also change with our context. Not formulas, but relationship. You know, there's this um, document out there called Hemorrhaging Faith, Why and When Canadian Young Adults Are Leaving, Staying, and Returning to the Church. This is commissioned by uh, the EFC Youth and Young Adult Ministry Roundtable, the Evangelical Fellowship of Canada. That's EFC Youth right there. And in this study, they're saying, how do youth, so how do we pass the baton of faith to kids? Or what makes kids stay for the long run in church? And it's for them to see the authentic faith in their parents. And so these are kids growing up with parents. Let's say that they actually move out at 18 (laughs) and they go to university. (laughs) And so you have these 18 years with them. And what makes the deepest impact are their parents, but their parents who are living out a genuine, authentic faith in front of their kids. You know, and that's what helps them to stick. You know, that these ideas are passed on, that they struggle with them too. It's not like, you know, we brainwash them, but 
you know, they see this faith making a difference in our lives too. And it just makes me wonder as a parallel for us, you know, 18 years you know, of seeing authentic faith. And sometimes we might expect in our own timing things to happen faster. You know, we win the opportunity to tell others why it is we are doing what we do. You know, back to the article by Dr. Rayner, and based on those same comments I read to you, he had these four attitude adjustments, is that we need to demonstrate respect and really actually take other people's interests at heart, really care. Don't condescend, don't discriminate. Really care about people who don't follow Jesus and actually show it. You know, I saw this one article uh, this one comment where a person was saying that she was homeschooling her kids, not a believer, not someone who follows Jesus Christ. And so she was in this uh, community of people who also homeschooled their kids that, that did follow Jesus. And so they made this assumption about her that obviously because she's homeschooling her kids, she must also fall in line with the rest of us, us. And once they find out that, found out that she didn't, then she became one of them. You know, and there became this bubble really care and really show it. Demonstrate compassion and respect. You know, this speaker that I heard in 2000, he was saying these things, you know, win the opportunity to tell people why you're doing crazy things like you're doing. You know, why you're loving in this immense capacity in the way that you're doing. Not formulas, but relationship. Yes, we sow the seed liberally. Yes, there will be times where you will, in the relationship, in the context of friendship, where maybe an opportunity will arise, and you can share in a genuine way as it just sort of flows in conversation. This is how great my God is. This is what I believe about Jesus Christ, and because we're friends, I know that we can respect each other. Sow the seed liberally. Pray against the evil one snatching seeds away. How about we do that hard work of prayer? Be there for when affliction and persecution do arise. Be there for when the worries of the world, the deceitfulness of wealth do appear and speak into these things. I remember hearing this from... uh, one of my youth uh, ministry professors, and he said, you know, class, people don't care how much you know who you have a relationship with until they know how much you care. People don't care how much you know until they know how much you care. That love speaks a lot louder. And that if we can be friends with people, not because we're targeting them and there's this feeling of, oh my gosh, he's got me in his sights. But genuinely loving people, you know, I think they'll care a lot more about what we have to say. I run this basketball program here. I love basketball. I'm not good, but I love it. And um, I started it by volunteering at Lord Lansdowne, and that wasn't comfortable for me. And uh, I'd be in the classroom And over time, I got to tell them, hey, so you guys love basketball. I can tell. We've talked about it. 
you know, how about you come up to the church and, and we'll play? The, the chord is pretty good, you know, and it'll just be us and it'll be fun. And it took two years before that cohort that I got to know, um, before they got into high school and then felt comfortable to come. And it was just faithfully every Wednesday, you know, with three of them playing some hoops. You know, not saying anything, just sort of being with them, showing that I cared about them. And eventually, you know, someone let the cat out of the bag and, like, they invited all their other friends and it became, like, 20, 25 kids from the local high schools playing basketball together, you know, and still, you know, I struggle with, when do I, when do I say something? You know, when do I do something, you know? And then this past year with Jeremy Dykema, he's not here right now, but I just want to say his name anyway, <laughs> that he's been really faithful in helping me, and um, we've loved on these kids. And we've won this opportunity to say, hey, we're just going to have some pizza at the end of the month, and we just want to invite you out, and so we want to share our story with you, you know, what God has done in our lives. And we make it, maybe we go too far, but we, we say, you know, we really don't want to pressure you. It's not about the food. So what we'll do is, if you want to eat and stick around for the message, that's great. If you need to take your pizza and go, that's fine too. We love you. We'll see you next week. You know, and, but more often than not, actually every single time, they've stuck around for the whole thing. Because they know we love them. We say it. And we're too... Well, I'm not that young anymore, but he's, you know, here's this young dude that says, you know, we love you guys. We'll see you next week. So, if I can share these eight, uh, these, uh, sorry, six things from uh, this book that, that Phil had lent to me that uh, I want to share with you too is, is um, so just some more factors. And again, I'm just sort of casting out there and whatever sticks with you. You know, think about conversations more than conversion. And it's not about being in this holy huddle, but get out there. <laughs> Make some good friends. Listen. Listen to their stories. When you get a chance, share your story. And then we get a chance, share God's story. Remember, this is a process and a journey and not just this formula and on our timeline. Trust God is at work even when it doesn't look like it. Keep a learning posture. You know, it means we're humble because we don't have it together. We just don't. We're all a mess. Continue to serve. Look for opportunities to serve. And can I say this one application here is, you know, here we are in this beautiful summer season. You know, can we think of one family or one neighbor, one coworker you can become friends with. And again, not with a target, but that we can start this spiritual friendship with, that we can be with them in the good times and with the bad times and, and win this chance to say, yeah, this is what's going on in my life. This is what the goodness of God has done. Can we listen and wait for God's leading in terms of opening? We know God's heart and leading. We really know it, that he loves people. He wants us to love and reach out to others. But can we allow the work of the Spirit to make hearts ready? I know we can. And I know we're a church that cares about this. We have a long history in it too, don't we?
Maybe we've had struggles as well. But can we win this chance? There's already awesome ministries in this church that do it so well. Bill and Vicky just pouring into the lives of, of these street youth every Tuesday during the colder seasons. We can do that. We can care. We can love and win opportunities and build these friendships. Let's pray together. Father, I want to thank you for the chance to love people the way that you love them. Just because... And that's what grace is, just because. Help us to be grace-filled people, to love people where they are at, just like Jesus did. Lord, in those attitudes that need to be um, repented of, help us to do that too. You know, forgive us for maybe forcing things or maybe making the soil harder. And in those moments where the moment is right, where times are right. Help us to just speak of your goodness in good and real ways, to recognize those opportunities and to do so in an authentic, genuine way. Lord, you are already at work in people's lives. And so God, give us the eyes to see it. We pray this in Jesus' name. Amen.